Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewilling. Well, um, we're going to try, I don't know how successful we will be, but we are going to try to not talk about COVID-19 as uh, much as we have in the past. A um, little bit, but not not um, dominating the news. Um, I, I wanted to kind of get into the Trump uh, Biden dynamic a little bit more. And obviously we will talk about, uh, the statues toppling in the country, the crazy unrest and some COVID-19 news because, um, both of the, uh, two aforementioned, um, news stories have a very strong effect on what's going to happen in November. And, um, depending upon who you listen to or what you read, you will hear, wildly different opinions about how these things um, that are shaking out are going to affect Donald Trump positively or negatively or Joe Biden positively or negatively. So we're going to uh, read a few articles today. I'll give you some of my thoughts on uh, the Trump-Biden thing because, um, boy, I tell you, you know, there's a lot of crazy news out there, but this election is going to happen. It's like childbirth. It, it will eventually happen. <laughs> and um, when it does, um, we uh, we better be ready for it. So the uh, we're going to talk about the Trump-Biden thing, a little bit about COVID-19, some of the reopening hiccups, uh, some of the numbers out there, and um, also some, uh, some political movement as far as uh, some elections that have happened some primaries and key swing states. Uh, so we'll talk about all that. But today, um, this uh, first article I have says, parsing the polls, Trump's problem is that Biden is less hated than Hillary Clinton was. And I have said that to so many people for so long. I'm blue in the face. And um, the, uh, the Trump devotees hate it when you discuss anything less than a landslide victory in November, but not so fast. And I've always said that, um, you know, uh, the Democrats will not be asleep at the wheel in those key Rust Belt states as they were in 2016. Hillary Clinton um, was severely outworked. And uh, although Joe Biden is, is no uh, dynamo as far as... Um, three or four uh, rallies a day uh, like Donald Trump may be up for. Um, he's certainly uh, one of the biggest, we'll try to be kind here on the show, um, one of the biggest assets he has is he is not Hillary Clinton. So um, the article starts with, when you see stories that President Trump is trailing in the polls, it's natural to scoff and say the polls all said Trump would lose four years ago. It's a fine retort, and it's worth considering the extent and the reasons for the polls getting it wrong in 2016. Why should 2016 be any different from 2020? And it's a big question. For one thing, though, Trump didn't actually get more votes, the article says. But um, the biggest gorilla in the room here is uh, we'll look at just one aspect of the difference. I think this is key to reading the lay of the land. And the article's assertion here is Joe Biden is not hated as much as Hillary Clinton was. And 
That is basically the crux of the matter. Trump, Trump devotees hate to hear this, but there was a, um, the article says, I think it's 15%, but I, I would contend back in 2000, summer of 2016, there's a lot of people that did not want to vote for either of these two individuals. And at the end of the day, I think the, um, the unfavorability of Hillary Clinton was probably more of a factor in Donald Trump's victory than Donald Trump's core support and uh, Trump devotees and, and perhaps people in the Trump camp would take issue with that. Um, this is not to uh, uh, minimize uh, the abject loyalty that at least, you know, 45% probably uh, maybe 40% solidly of the electorate out there really does care for Donald Trump a great deal and he will get their vote regardless. But um, that wasn't the case back in 2016. Donald Trump's done a lot of good things to solidify that base. And, and uh, but, you know, they, I talked to a lot of people that they did vote for Donald Trump, but they did it begrudgingly. So, the article uh, goes through a lot of facts and figures that I'm not going to bore you with, but I will say this. Um, last two paragraphs are pretty interesting. It says, so why did Trump do better than the polls in 2016? Because as, as many of you recall, you know, uh, four or five months out, there were polls that um, showed Hillary Clinton 10 points up, like there are polls now that show Joe Biden 10 points up. And um, the short answer for that is, regardless of the candidates, in my opinion, those polls are um, pollsters, uh, are money makers. They um, they are recruited by campaigns uh, not to just give them an accurate lay of the land. That is done much more the last two months of any campaign. But when you're this far out, make no mistake, uh, politicians seek out pollsters that will um, tickle their ears, tell them what they want to hear, fashion questions to um, people out there. Um, I've I've been I was polled maybe twenty years ago. Um, I, I don't answer my phone when eight hundred numbers come up or numbers I don't see come up. I never answer anything uh, as, that resembles a landline. So I, I don't know how a lot of these people are getting polled, but I digress. But um. You know, the um, polls, make no mistake about it, uh, at this far out are, are are done to shape public opinion, not reflect it. So um, article continues, you don't need to say that the polls were all wrong. You just need to realize that more than 15% of the electorate didn't like either candidate. And that's, that's a hefty amount of people. I think it was actually more. Article asserts half of them broke for Trump. This year with Biden at or at least 50% in the polls is leaving a lot fewer undecideds on the table for Trump to try and win over. And um, I've read many articles that said Trump's not really trying too hard to win them over. Um, he feels he's popular enough to just solidify his base and get this done. And I would disagree with that simply because think the article is correct. Both of those individuals in 2016 were probably uh, in the mid uh, 40s uh, as far as uh, 
people wanting to vote for Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton, or excuse me, um, Donald Trump, 43, 44%, which leaves about 15% of undecideds, which is a pretty large chunk. And all Donald Trump had to do is get 8% of that, you know, uh, 7% going to Hillary, 8% going to him, and he would win. Um, Electoral college is a little bit, um, throws a wrinkle in that. But I agree with the article. Um, as feckless as Joe Biden is and how he made it through the Democrat um, primary is is just an absolute miracle. Um, he still is, is uh, at or near 50% in most polls that you see. And again, polls are misleading. They are designed primarily to elect Democrats. They are um, over- sampled uh, as far as Democrats and independents as opposed to Republicans. The whole deck is stacked against Republicans. Not that I'm a big fan of those guys, but um, 50% is 50%. And um, I, I do think if you if you took a true read on where people are thinking or standing right now, Joe Biden is probably in better shape than Hillary Clinton was four years ago. Not by much. But there's enough crazy, crazy things going on in this election cycle. COVID-19 um, at the fore, um, the uh, George Floyd thing, uh, protests in the streets, statues coming down, all sorts of uh, Trump's uh, starting his rallies again with provocative statements. Um, there's a lot in play here. And... If, if that stuff is in play with Hillary Clinton, I think Donald Trump wins. When it's in play with Joe Biden, I, I think there's a lot of unknowns out there. And I've said to many of you before, I am not, um, I may know politics, I may know the issues of the day, but I, I'm not a very good prognosticator. I will admit that first and foremost. I'll give you some analysis you figured out. But um, if I were to guess, I would be a little concerned if I was Donald Trump, um, you know, not overly, but I would be much more concerned. And, and you know, quite frankly, any politician cannot put forth a, a concerned persona. You have to have a swagger. Certainly Donald Trump, that is his trademark. But um, I think he should be a little concerned because there's just so many crazy variables right now. And as I've stated on this show several times, the less uh, the the fewer opportunities for Donald Trump to get out and do these massive rallies in key states. And every single day that clicks by and Joe Biden is kind of in his bunker doing Zoom meetings, uh, that's a win for Donald or for uh, Joe Biden every single day of the week. Um Joe Biden on the campaign trail, the stamina, the mental acuity uh, necessary to do that is just something that um, is going to be very challenging. And people say, well, eventually he's got to do it. I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I have stacks of things here of, of states that have uh, my, my state included. They put out dates that life is going to resume to some degree of normalcy, and then they just pull the rug out from under you a, a day before or the day of. So I'm, I'm not so convinced, even though we're um, less than five months out uh, from this election, that anytime soon, 
Joe Biden has to get out and press the flesh, if you will, and 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 uh, get some curveball questions and and uh, has an opportunity to fall down. I, I'm not so sure that that's going to happen anytime soon. And um, so we're we're living in some very odd times. Uh, the article says um, concludes with if election day looks like today, does. If somehow we don't get about a dozen world-changing stories between now and then, Trump will lose, and not because people turned away from him, but because he drew a much less hated opponent. Um, I wouldn't quite go as far uh, making a declarative that Trump would lose. Uh, I think he should be concerned. I always have contended that. Uh, but this uh, author here definitely thinks that... Um, Donald Trump would lose if the election were held today. I'm not so sure, but he has concerns. And I think those concerns should be uh, addressed as much as they can be. Um, you know, did anybody predict uh, seven months ago that the world was going to be stood on its ear with COVID-19 and riots in the streets for other reasons? No, nobody could have done that. And we don't know. What's going to happen between now and November? You know, on this show, one of the closest thing to riots in the streets that anybody was predicting was unrest in Wisconsin uh, for the Democrat National Convention. A lot of prognosticators felt that this was 68 all over again. Um, uh, Bernie Sanders and, and his uh Supporters were not going to be jilted again and screwed again as they were in 2016. And they were going to be a little bit more vocal and maybe not um, rally around uh, the presumptive uh, nominee. And uh, disaffected leftists who feel that the party is um, still too old and too white and, and too conservative, the, the latter being kind of comical. Um we're vowing to to um, stir the pot, if you will, in Milwaukee, and that still may happen. But the the wrath, the anger, the unrest is clearly um, aimed at um, Republicans and people on the right. Uh, there are some Democrats sprinkled in there, but I think uh, you know, as it stands. Uh, if, if you poll or if you wanted to ask Donald Trump, he would prefer no COVID-19 and no riots in the streets for obvious reasons and political reasons. So I think those two things, among many others, hurt Republicans more than they hurt Democrats. But um, who knows? Who knows? Only God knows what's going to happen between now and November. So next article is Joe Biden isn't the shoe in candidate Democrats hope for. And I think this was an interesting article by Kaylee McGee. She is uh, writes for um, the Washington Examiner. The polls are damning. Almost everyone has Joe Biden up ahead of President Trump by a significant margin, not because he is the ideal candidate, because he is, uh, but because Trump is not. A uh, New York Times Siena College poll released Wednesday shows Biden leading Trump by 14 points, 50 to 36 among registered voters. Numbers such as these have created a fresh wave of confidence among Democrats who lost to Trump once 
and refuse to be beaten again. We're going to beat him in November, and I think we're going to even beat him in Ohio, said uh, Senator Sherrod Brown, a Democrat from Ohio. And Ohio will mean an electoral college landslide. But some Democrats are urging caution. This was, after all, the mistake the party made in 2016. They bet it all on Hillary Clinton and put too much confidence in numbers that were too good to be true. Some aren't willing to face that same disappointment again. And the article asserts they are correct because Biden isn't the shoe-in candidate that Democrats um, would have liked him to be. Um, on the issues of the day, namely criminal justice reform, racial tensions, he has had a poor record. And though his numbers among black voters have held strong throughout the primary, there are some in the African-American community who are tired of playing along with the political games Biden helped create. Um, this is my words, not the author's words. Fortunately for Joe Biden, um, not enough of those uh, African-Americans are going to hold him accountable for um, many of the things he has said and done um, that, in my estimation, are, are not real friendly to the African-American community. Um so most of these individuals that um, people are kind of concerned might just stay home are going to look the other way. Uh, they always do. And in this political climate, is there are there going to be a few more that might stay home and say a pox on both their heads? Maybe. Um, will it be enough to push Donald Trump over the top, particularly in uh, blue states or purple states, if you will? where uh, heavy African-American turnout in urban areas is going to be essential to tip the balance uh, toward Joe Biden. Will some of these individuals say, you know, a pox on both of their heads uh, for whatever reason they come up with? Maybe. But uh, this has been this has been forwarded uh, for years that many, many in the Democrat Party are finally realizing um, how uh how uh, used um, African-Americans are by liberal white Democrats. Um, but at the end of the day, they always, uh, most of them always show up and vote um, specifically Democrats. So uh, it says, we look at Joe Biden and see more of the same. And it's about the, it's about that era he came up with. It's about his identity. He's a rich old white man. Where are the credentials to us other than Obama picking him? Tanya Griffith, an African-American woman from Detroit, said to Politico, it's nice that he worked with Obama, but let's keep it real. That was a political calculation. Obama thought he needed a white man to get elected, just like Biden thinks he needs a black man, black woman to get elected. We can see through that. Um Griffith isn't the only one who feels this way. Representative Debbie Dingell, a Michigan Democrat, confirmed that many in her district, uh, have, and she's around Detroit, um, have said they are voting for Trump. Everyone will roll their eyes and say, that's Debbie, but I was right in 2016. Um, but voters' indifference toward Biden might be what saves him. Trump won in part because Clinton was so unpopular and divisive. Many voters saw him as the lesser of two evils and voted accordingly, or they didn't vote at all. Um, so the article uh, 
says um, Biden is the guy that could be better, but also much worse. Still, if there's one thing we learned from 2016, it's to remain wary of big numbers that don't necessarily reflect public opinion. Democrat officials' failure to contain the lawlessness of the protesters creating their own autonomous zones, which we do see are popping up all over the country, um, and the GOP's efforts to ramp up coronavirus relief might convince swing state voters that Trump's economy is worth um, their bet. Recent events could just as well work against Trump, but Biden isn't giving voters much to work with from his Delaware basement. <laughs> Democrats would be wise not to take a victory for granted. So these first two articles um, kind of assert that it's uh, pretty much up in the air, and it is. It really is. Um, I, I've heard some conservative pundits um lament that um, even though Mr. Trump's uh, rally in Oklahoma, which I watched it, I thought it was pretty, um, pretty interesting, um, was uh, too much of rehashing of the, the rah-rah of 2016 and not enough touting of many of the things that have been accomplished by the Trump administration um, remains to be seen. But, um, you know, uh, Donald Trump has uh, a lot of people that do not like him. And Joe Biden cannot sit in a basement um, forever until the election starts. Or can he? You know, maybe he can. Uh, a lot of people voted for Barack Obama for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and one of those reasons was he really didn't have much of a history. Now, I know Joe Biden has a, his, a long history, but to... Assigned to Barack Obama what you want to assign to him um, made a lot of sense for a lot of people because they just didn't know him. You know, even though Joe Biden has quite a history and he was VP for eight years, um, people's attention span and memories are that of a gnat. And um, if this guy has been in a bunker not screwing up uh, largely for, you know, six months before the election, before any type of... Uh, debate, I, I think, again, that bodes very well for him. So this next article um, really does kind of hammer home why probably at the end of the day, Trump wins. And um, I, I have um, I given, you know, many speeches, lectures uh, at uh, churches, schools, uh, public forums uh, in that summer of 2016. And one was very, very noteworthy where um, the audience was was basically made up of a lot of different people. Um, it was at a church um, in the evening. Not I, I wasn't, um, you know, pounding on a pulpit like some others do. And um, the person that organized it shared my concerns about Donald Trump and some of the things he's done and said. But at the end of the day, it was like a needle on the beginning of the record, for those of you that remember records. Um, and it was all about the courts. And Donald Trump has had the opportunity to appoint um, some judges uh, to the Supreme Court. And with the health of, of some of the, uh, a couple of the liberal um, Supreme Court justices currently, that is one of the uh, first and foremost reasons to vote for Donald Trump um, in the minds of many people and, and 
many of those people may be swing voters that don't necessarily love Donald Trump, but they're going to vote for him because with the chaos we see in the streets um, and our legislators feckless at best, uh, a Supreme Court or we'll we'll see with one of these other articles here, an appellate court or federal court positions uh, throughout the country that Donald Trump has done a very good job filling with conservatives. That is, uh, for a lot of people, a firewall uh, to to stop insanity from rolling over um, our culture, uh, our principles, our ideals as Americans. So this article says Supreme Court sides with Trump blocks migrants at the border from suing over asylum denial. Now, my point of reading this is not um, to uh, to go down the uh, the wall debate or the um, is is illegal alien um, are illegal aliens entering this country um, uh, a problem. I mean, we, we can do that. We have done that. But my point is um, Trump and Supreme Court and perhaps as many as two more appointments if he gets reelected indicates that um, a lot of people like Donald Trump for this issue or this reason and this reason only. So this says Supreme Court sided with the Trump administration by a 7-2 to two vote Thursday deciding that immigrants in fast-tracked asylum proceedings who have claims um, that they have been denied early on uh, in the process do not have the right to sue in federal court to appeal the decision. The court's highest court determined asylum seekers were not entitled habeas corpus, which would give them recourse to protest an expedited deportation. The American Civil Liberties Union, which represented the Sri Lankan asylum seeker in the suit, expects that the decision will affect several thousand immigrants who make asylum claims after illegally entering the country. And the point of reading this article is simply this. Um, numbers mean things. And uh, having Donald Trump with an R next to his name means something. Having a Senate that is right now... Um, uh, 5347 plurality for Republicans is absolutely huge. And it's huge for, for the following reason, which I will read this article. This was off the uh, Fox News website. It says Michael Davis, Trump's 200th judge confirmed federal judiciary has been transformed, promises kept. And it said Senate Republicans voted Wednesday to confirm Judge Corey Wilson, a Yale-educated Mississippi appellate judge with extensive state and federal government experience, to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Judge Wilson is President Trump's 200th um, judicial appointment and 53rd federal circuit judge, filling 25% of the federal judiciary after previously shattering the all-time record pace for appointments to the critically important federal courts of appeals. The last stop for more than 99% of all federal appeals. Drink that one in. With the chaos that is happening in this country, um, things are ending up court in court more and more and more on a daily basis. And two things are in play here. Donald Trump 
has made good on his promise to um, back appoint whatever um, conservative judges. Now, has has Donald Trump uh, failed in in some other areas of being a, a conservative president? I believe he has. In this one, he's solid as a rock. He really is. He promised um, the electorate if they voted for him, he would. He would the these backlogs um, in uh, the these uh, squabbles to uh, to approve judges. Um, these liberal judges that are getting on uh, because of uh, Democrat presidents and Democrats in the Senate. Um, no, it's not going to happen under him, and he has made good on that promise. And probably no less important in that equation is, as I said before, you have a 53-47 majority in the Senate. If that goes away um, and he is elected, reelected, he may not have such a success rate. But as it is constructed now, and this is good news for those of you that think there's rioting in the streets, there's lawlessness up and down, Democrats control the House, um, Trump is impeached. Uh, he's hated, da-da-da-da-da-da, the country's going to hell in a handbasket. Very quietly and very assuredly, Donald Trump is racking up some huge victories in the area of um, his promises to make um, uh, judicial appointments all across the land and backing good candidates in the Senate um, for the Republican side so they will get major- keep, keep the majority and keep this train running, if you will. Um To put this in perspective, the article says President Obama appointed 55 circuit judges in eight years. President Trump has appointed 53 in four, just under four. In doing this, President Trump has filled every federal circuit court vacancy, something not done by any president in more than 40 years. That's amazing. Um, At 200 and counting, President Trump is number two of 45 presidents for the pace of all Article Three judges, and he would be number one, but for the fact that Congress created 152 new judgeships, 25%, for President Carter to fill. Um, despite the Senate Democrats and their left-wing allies' rhetoric, President Trump's judges are some of the most qualified in our nation's history. Don't simply take my word for it, the author says. Left-wing commentator Ian Milheiser wrote extensively on this, and here are some of Mr. Milheiser, who is a left-wing commentator. Um, These are some of his thoughts on Trump appointments. Trump hasn't simply given lots of lifetime appointments to lots of lawyers. He's filled the bench with some of the smartest and some of the most ideologically reliable men and women to be found in the conservative movement. It's tempting to assume that Trump's judicial appointees, point number two, share the goonish incompetence of the man, author, or Ian Milheiser's words, not mine, who placed them on the bench. But this assumption could not be more wrong. Third thought, his picks include leading academics, Supreme Court litigators, and already prominent judges who now enjoy even more power within the judiciary. Lastly, he concludes, in other words, based solely on objective legal credentials, the average Trump appointee has a far more impressive resume than any past president's nominees. Um, 
In less than four years, with the strong help from former Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley, current Chairman Lindsey Graham, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, President Trump has reclaimed a Republican-appointed majority on the Supreme Court of the United States, flipped three federal circuits, the 2nd, 3rd, and 11th, from majority Democrat appointed to majority Republican appointed, making it more likely that the three-judge panels are comprised of conservatives and more likely that conservatives set circuit law uh, through their en banc decisions. Um, Number three here, it says uh, Trump has padded the Republican-appointed lead on the 7th circuit from plus three to plus seven. And this is pretty amazing. Uh, The last point here, significantly narrowed the Democrat domination of the once out of whack Ninth Circuit from um, 11 Democrats to uh, a majority of 11 to a majority of three um, on this unruly 29 active judge court. Um, The last point is a particular note. The article says when President Trump took office, the Democrat appointed judges had an 11-seat advantage on the 29-seat Ninth Circuit. The president has narrowed that to just three. And when President Trump wins re-election, he could flip the Ninth Circuit, once thought impossible, before the Trump presidency. So when you see all these things, uh, COVID-19 numbers in this state and that state uh, governed by Republican hacks that love Donald Trump are going up. Uh, People are dying in the streets. Uh, There's all sorts of unrest and it's Donald Trump's fault. Um, And if you're a Donald Trump fan, you get a little nervous. Um, These are kind of behind the scenes statistics, articles, if you will, that if you were a person to take the time to read them, you would definitely take heart that the man is making some um, some impact, some changes, and many would contend those changes are for the good. So this next article, um, we're going to kind of shift off from uh, the Trump-Biden thing and some of the uh, judicial um things that are going on, um, which definitely, you know, will, will sway, uh, voters in November, but this also will as well. And this is, um, the unrest in the streets that we are all witnessing before our eyes. This says Oakland school board votes to defund contact with the police cites disproportionate arrest black students. The local school board in Oakland, California, unanimously voted on Wednesday night to eliminate district's agreement with the local police. The board cited this disproportionate arrest of black students and suggested several alternative ways to handle discipline inside schools. Uh, The article goes on to say black students who make up just over 25% of the district's enrollment have accounted for 73% of arrests in city schools in the last five years. The district has spent nearly $10 million on its um, security and police force in the last five years, according to the resolution passed on Wednesday. Um, The news comes the same day that California's top education executive announced his office is working to reshape the role of 
police and security officers in schools statewide. As a former school board member, I spent four years working very closely with school resource officers, um, Superintendent of Public Instruction Tony Thurman said, but I've already seen data that shows when there's police on campus, this results in more suspensions and arrests, particularly for African-American students and other students of color. Um, I know we can't separate these things, but let's try for a second. What if that statement didn't say particularly for African-American students and other students of color? It would seem to me a pretty um, logical statement. If there's more cops uh, on school grounds, there are going to be more suspensions and arrests. If there's less policing, if you will, then there are obviously going to be less of that. Um, that's a given. The second part of that, I would think, implies that the police are somehow inherently wrong or evil because they are targeting people of color. We're not going to discuss that, um, the merits of that, uh, other than simply that is the mantra that you are hearing in urban areas all over the country. And um, that, to me, is, is quite dangerous because if each and every police force in urban areas and all areas are inherently racist from the top, to the bottom, and many of these arrests are simply um, due to the skin color of the particular student, then we have an extraordinarily large problem. And I am just not willing to say that police forces from the top to the bottom are uh, corrupt to that degree. But I am certainly not going to be one of these people that sweep this issue under the rug and say, uh, in general, 99% of police, da-da-da-da-da-da, 1% of these bad apples, da-da-da-da-da-da. It's not 1%. And, and in some police forces, it's a fairly high percentage of people that are policing in a manner that is thoroughly inconsistent when it comes to policing of um, white individuals and policing of individuals of color. And that's a fact. Uh, we can't have that discussion Um on TV, on the radio, at the water cooler, at the soccer game, because things are just simply too hot right now. You cannot get any of these words out of your mouth without literally being hit uh, in the side of the head. So um, the statement I made, which seems to be pretty even-handed and logical, can't even be made because nobody would even let me say that um, uh, other than on a radio show, uh, you know, as we have here. So the article concludes with, since the deaths of Floyd and Richard Brooks, calls for sweeping police reform have reverberated across the nation. Parents and activists have been calling on the district to eliminate the police force and redirect the money to social programs for the students, calling it the George Floyd resolution to eliminate the Oakland School Police Department. <laughs> In Los Angeles, the school board this week tossed out a proposal to defund the school's police force by 90%. Um, so this is the yang, this is the yang that you have. We, um, a couple shows ago, we, uh, we spoke about the, um, San Diego who said, no, we're not defunding our police. We're actually going to give, increase that budget. 
Um, other people are defunding their police. They want to channel that money um, toward other things. And this next article I have here really contends that if that happens with any large degree of scale, then the inevitable will happen, which um, the article says Democrats' anti-police bill will cripple local police and empower criminals. That's a pretty commonsensical statement that is uh, believed by many and said by few. So um, this is a representative um, Andy Biggs um, in the Washington Examiner. Again, it says it may not be a plank in the official Democrat Party platform, but it's clear that Democrats and their supporters want to eliminate state and local police. The radical left, which now controls the Democratic Party, is making a frontal assault on the police with their calls to defund and dismantle police departments. Democratic members of Congress are fighting a um, rear guard action through their dangerous Jerry Nadler, Nancy Pelosi anti-policing bill. And this kind of shows you why we can't talk to one another, why I state on this show all the time, don't listen to me. Don't listen to the guy with the R next to your name. Don't listen to Fox. Don't listen to CNN. Listen to Jesus Christ. Read your Bible. Pray. You can avail yourself to the aforementioned things only after you are steeped in God and uh, look at the issues of the day, the cultural issues um, through the eyes of uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's all you can do because... As I go on in this article, this is a perfect example of Republicans seeing uh, a need for some police reform and contributing to this uh, bill um, to radically transform police policing as we know it in the country and Democrats playing politics with it and not giving them any degree of um, deference or advantage at all. And because if they do, they cannot forward that narrative that Republican middle-aged white guys are evil and they don't care about uh, inner city African-Americans and their struggle. You cannot forward that notion with any degree of legitimacy when you have uh, representatives such as Louis Gohmert here that we're going to talk about in a second that are bending over backwards to work with Democrats to um, – uh, reform these things. And if, if you can follow the couple of paragraphs I'm going to read here, you'll see the abject lunacy of those on the left. And this is, this is politics to them. They don't care about African Americans as they purport to. They care about power and they care about votes. So, um, the article continues, during the hearing on the Nadler-Pelosi monstrosity, Democrats rejected every amendment offered by Republicans, even when Democrats agreed with the substance of the amendment. If we're supposed to reach across the aisle, like John McCain used to say and all their Democratic friends say now, then when Republicans such as Louis Gomer, who's a pretty conservative guy, forwards an amendment that you agree with and you just knock it down as a matter of course because he's got an R next to his name. You don't care about um, reform. You care about power and you care about painting your opponent 
as a bad guy when in this instance and and many instances, Louis Gohmert is a stand-up guy. It's just not true. So included in the Nadler-Pelosi bill was a provision that limited the sentence of a person convicted of lynching to 10 years. The Democrats doggedly fought to defeat an amendment offered by Representative Louis Gohmert, a Republican of Texas, that would have made lynching punishable by life imprisonment or death penalty eligible. Nadler, Democrat, argued that the death penalty was barbarous. But then so is lynching. There's the question. In an effort to ameliorate Nadler's concerns, Gomer proposed a change that would maximize the penalty for lynching to life in prison. Nadler and the Democrats, very interested in politics, not interested in what they purport to be interested in, rejected this, apparently content with the bill's maximum of 10 years punishment for lynching. Um, so are you following that, ladies and gentlemen, how ridiculous that is? That, that makes me harken back to the James Byrd situation where he was dragged behind a car and killed by a bunch of uh, white racists. And George Bush uh, publicly and politically advocated for the death of the men uh, through uh, capital punishment that did this to this poor man. Um, despite being on record as wanting to take the lives of the barbarous human beings that took the life of Mr. Bird. Mr. Bird's daughter was used as a pawn by the Democrat Party down there to uh, forward uh, a political ad against George Bush saying it was like my father died all over again when um, George Bush wouldn't stand up for him. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. And Republicans retorted, not only did he not stand up for your father, he advocated policy that would kill the people that killed your father. That was not good enough because it, it's not about the victims in the eyes of most of these politicians. It's about Rahm Emanuel, how he always said, uh, you can never let a good crisis go to waste. You have to exploit it. And Democrats have eaten the lunch of Republicans in the last six months, exploiting um, volatile issue after volatile issue to their advantage. Um, the illustration uh, that I just wrote uh, is so completely and utterly illogical Um that a Democrat would think like this, uh, or is it, you know, are, are, is, is common sense gone out the window? Does anybody have the capacity to, to understand the hypocrisy there that Louis Gomer wants to make, um, lynching punishable by life and the people that purport to care about George Floyd or any other African American want to, hold up a bill because of that amendment? Does, does that make sense to anybody? Um, or do the Democrats have it right? Do they understand that people don't pay attention to these things? And um, when you defeat a Republican at all costs, even if the person that you're trying to help is defeated in the process, um, is it worth it? Uh, I guess it is. Um 
The article kind of concludes here saying, for those officers that are serving and believe they cannot change careers, um, the choice of whether to get involved in volatile situations and risking not just their lives, but everything they have worked for, or to wait until the volatility ends and the officers can enter the scene without those risks, is crazy. And this bill, um, to paraphrase here, um, it, it gives um, police officers uh, virtually have unlimited exposure now under this proposal. An officer will not only put his life on the line every time he is working um, a shift, he'll put his home, his possessions, and the sanctity of his family on the line because he is not protected by the police force in general anymore that heretofore would internally police these situations. Now, um, policemen or people sympathetic to policemen policing other policemen in these situations. I, I can, I'm, I'm not stupid. I can understand the, um, the, uh, uh, conflict there the potential conflict, but to eliminate all of that protection from the officer, the article contends will lead to officers just changing careers or if they see something on the street. And I've talked to cops, um, uh, black and white about this. They just won't go to certain areas because the risk to them and their family is just too great. And that's, that's not what a police officer signs up to do. They sign up to protect you and I, um, it says, in other words, enforcement will leaves, will be left spotty and many officers will leave the force to find other work, just other ways to make a living. The ultimate result of the bill this author contends will be an emasculation of local law enforcement and higher crime rates. And that 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 is not a left or a right issue, ladies and gentlemen. Power abhor or excuse me, nature abhors a, ba- a vacuum. Um uh, we've said it uh, a thousand times on this show. Um, mass shooters don't go to police barracks to shoot them up because they know everybody's got a gun there and will certainly use it. Um, you you create a uh, communities that um, do not have police forces or emasculated police forces where the police really can't do anything. Um, crime rates will skyrocket and the very people that you purport to care about, which many people don't, will be the victims of these crimes. So the these areas that are predominantly African-American areas will, will turn into um, abject lawless zones. And the vast majority of victims in that equation will be African-Americans themselves. And the direct reason for that is the police who most a very, very large percentage of African-Americans rely on and trust um, will simply not be there for them. And we, you know, there was a news story a couple days ago about um, in the uh, in the cop free zone in Seattle where a guy died, um, paramedics and the police um, tried to break through the perimeter of that zone politely by saying there's a man dying. We have a 911 call of somebody that shot. We'd like to help them. The man subsequently died because his treatment was delayed because the cops and the paramedics could not get through the anarchist. You're going to have that um, 
in in uh, in large number if you continue this nonsense of defunding the police or eradicating the police. In the last few minutes of our show here, I wanted to get to an article um, that was very interesting to me. It says, um, this is a quote from Donald Trump. It says, they're looking at Jesus Christ. Trump warned statue destroyers are targeting Christianity. Um, President Trump said he will not tolerate the destruction of statues depicting Jesus, the founding fathers, and others as long as he is in office. I think many of the people that are knocking down these statues don't even have any idea what the statue is, what it means, who it is, Trump said during a Tuesday press conference with Polish President Andreas Duda in the Rose Garden. Now they're looking at Jesus Christ. They're looking at George Washington. They're looking at Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson. And in typical um, Donald Trump jargon, not going to happen. Not as long as I'm here. Excuse me. Um, Article goes on to say, um, on Monday, Real Justice PAC co-founder Sean King, a prominent Black Lives Matter activist, writer, and high-profile supporter of independent Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders during the Democrat Party, said that depictions of white Jesus were created as tools of the oppression and called for their destruction. Now, time does not permit me to get into the various um, variances in um, depiction of Jesus Christ uh, from uh, black Jesus to uh, uh, white Jesus with blonde highlights in his hair and ripped abs like you'll see um, in, in some depictions. There are a myriad of reasons for that. We have no idea what Jesus Christ of Nazareth looks like um, or looked like. We will get a glimpse of that if you are a believer at some point in time. But for this um, uh, co-founder, Sean King, of the prominent Black Lives Matter movement to assert that um, these depictions of white Jesus were created as tools of oppression could arguably be um, an overstatement. Yes, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy, always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Again, a very ignorant man overstating a very nuanced issue. since we are running out of time here, if you want my opinion, if I w- was to forward one, um, Jesus is probably rather darkly complected uh, when he walked this earth, as most men are um, in that region of the world, to assert um, anything other than that uh, is speculation at the highest order. This guy uses inflammatory words, and he is not helping the situation. Tear him down, King said. Um, Yes, um, what did he say here? Yes, all murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should come down. 
this guy's a racist. Okay. Um, I'll say it uh, publicly. He's a racist. He is engaging in, um, uh, selective, uh, historical, uh, recollection, if you will, if he has any, um, the debate of, of, uh, the depiction of Jesus could easily happen. Um, and it would take quite a while, but it does not happen under, um, or with individuals such as this, who, um, doesn't really care about the color of Jesus, although it, it, it is quite irrelevant. I would uh, agree with many. Uh, we just don't know what color Jesus was or what complexion he had when he um, walked the face of the earth. But um, this this guy is demagoguing. He's justifying um, the destruction of just about anything uh, and, and just using some wild, provocative rhetoric to do it. And I think that's unfortunate. This is Kerf Llewellyn. This has been another edition of Reshaping America. Until next time, have a great day.